We are honored that you're here today. We're going to study, we're going to grow, we're going to make some life-changing decisions today. Um, To help you even with that, we have a men's conference this Friday night and Saturday morning. We have Ken Eidelman who's coming. He used to be the president of Ozark Christian College, phenomenal teacher, speaker, and a great leader. And it's going to be a real honor for us to have Ken Eidelman. So men, if you're interested, Friday night and then Saturday morning, and come one or come both, but go to a kiosk out there and sign up. It'll be a great conference. All right. So as the offering's being passed, how many of you forgot about the time change? A few of you? Okay. That's right. First service was slammed this morning. I mean, first service, we had to bring out like 250 chairs for first service. It was absolutely hilarious. So I got a blood-signed covenant from all of them that they will come to first service again next week. And they said they would. So, all right. Stand up, greet two or three people, say good morning. Everybody in the room and everybody in the world and everybody that you know sits in one of four chairs. If you're new to church or you're, you lost a date or she's cute or whatever reason why that you're here, this is going to make a lot of sense this morning because everybody in this room and all of your friends and everybody in your neighborhood, everybody in your workplace, Everyone fits in one of four chairs. The first chair is off course. And you might be a good person. You might be a good moral person. You might be nice. You might pay your taxes. You might be a good woman. You might be a good man. But you're still, if you're not a Christian, if you're not in at least this chair, you're in a chair that's really off course. And you might be exploring the claims of Christ. You may give your life to Christ. You may die without Christ. But everybody in this chair is basically off course. Say that with me. Off course. And so what the person has to do in this seat is really figure out who is Jesus. It's really simple. Either he did or he did not rise from the dead. It is that easy. There were great teachers There were thousands of people that were crucified, but there was only one that got up and rose from the dead. And so you have to figure that out. And if you're not a Christian in the room, that's really your issue. That's really the question that you have to figure out. Did he or did he not rise from the dead? If he didn't, then you can keep doing whatever you want to do. If he did, it changes everything. That's the first chair. The second chair is called the chair of justification. Now, we're going to use some really big terms today, but you're smart people. Turn to the person beside you and say, I'm smart. (laughs) Turn to the other person and say, I'm smarter. (laughs) Now, turn to somebody and say, and I'm really humble, too. I am extremely humble. You're smart. I'm going to use some terms today that less educated, less smart congregations couldn't get. This is a term called justification. And if you sit in this seat, you are a Christian. You have given your life to Christ. It's called 
just as if I've never sinned. That's how God sees you. The blood of his son, Jesus, covers you from all unrighteousness. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is step one. He wants you to get in this seat. But it's not the seat that he wants you to to stay in. It's the beginning seat. The seat that he wants you to stay in and get in is this seat called sanctification. Say sanctification. Sanctification. Say it again. Sanctification. Now, sanctification is very different than justification. Justification is I am now a Christian. But I might not do another thing for God. I might, I might not live for God. I might not really pray. I might not really give. I might not really serve. I might not really do a whole lot. I might bring in a couple of you know, shoe boxes every now, every Christmas. But I, I'm really not engaged. I, I just kind of show up and I'm just I'm a part of this. Sanctification is, is completely different. Sanctification is where God is setting you apart. He is setting you apart for an incredible work. He's setting you apart to be holy. He's setting you apart for ministry. He's setting you apart to be able to be his hands and feet. Sanctification is where God sets you apart and his Holy Spirit then, you know, guides you this way and directs you this way and back up or speed up. Or This is the seat where you grow and you grow and you grow, but also this is the seat where he uses you. Now, you want to get in this seat. This is much better than this seat, but a lot of believers stay in this seat, but it's not the fun part. This is the fun part. This is where God actually gets you in on his deal. This is where God invites you to help him with the ministries in your family, in your school, in your church, in your community. Sanctification is where you are set apart. And we're going to talk about this today. The last seat, the last chair, is called glorification. And this past week, one of our dear friends, Beth Watts, she died. She had cancer for a couple of years, and Beth went to be with Jesus. Beth is now in paradise. Beth is now getting the glorification that was a part of what God has promised to her. So this chair hasn't happened to anybody in the room yet, at least not that I'm aware of, okay? Some of you look a little weird, but I don't think you're in that chair yet. This is when you die, and this is when you go to heaven, and when you go to paradise. Now, let's talk about this chair today. And I'm going to give you the verse, the reference in just a minute, but I'm just going to break it down first of all. In 1 Thessalonians, he says this, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. I'll give you that reference in just a minute. But I just want you to hear that, first of all. It is whose will? It's God's will. It is God's will that you be set apart. Now, let's break that down even a little bit more, because one of my favorite verses is in the fifth chapter of this book, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24 says this, Now may God himself... The God of peace sanctify you through and through. Now, we're going to just stop for a second. What is God doing to you after you say, I'm going to give my life to Christ? What is God doing with you after you say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe he's the Son of the living God. What is he doing? He is now going to work on your heart, your mind. Your will, your emotions, your attitude. God is now at work inside of you, and he's going to sanctify you where, how? Through and through. It's a lifelong journey. But the point is 
There's times when maybe you're sitting in this seat really, really well, and then maybe you slide out of it for like five or six months. And you go, I I know I'm not in God's will. I know I'm going to heaven, but I know I'm not in God's will. And so you repent during communion or you confess again, Lord, you know, forgive me. I want to be in your will. And so what God says I'm going to do, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And then he says this, may your whole spirit, soul, and body, and you are three parts, you are spirit, you are soul, and you are body. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the one who calls you to do it, he is faithful and he will do it. So on the one hand, sanctification happens because God wants me to be sanctified. But on the other hand, sanctification takes place or I stay in this seat because I have to work really hard to stay in this seat. I have to work hard to be in this seat. Do you? I mean, that that was a no-brainer. You know, you give your life to Jesus or you die and go to hell. That was a no-brainer right there, okay? That was not a hard decision. But the decision, that was funny. But the decision to stay in this seat and to stay in God's will, he's going to continue to work on my mind, my attitude, my lifestyle. God's going to continue to work and work and work and work inside of me. And he's going to do the same with you. And he will do that your entire life. Why? Because he wants to be able to use you. So sanctification is very different than justification. It is God's will that you be sanctified. All right. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to start with verses 1, 2, and 3. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 if you want to flip there or turn there. And here's verse 1. He says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. That's sanctification. When you're living to please your heavenly Father, you are living under the auspices and the umbrella of sanctification. As in fact, you're, you're now doing. So he's commending them. Now, we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this, how? More and more. Grow more and more. Because as you folks in Thessalonica, as you become more and more sanctified, the Father's going to use you more and more. Look at verse 2. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's verse 3. Here's where we're going to camp out. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. We kind of miss that part of the verse because we go to the second part of the verse. And all we see is, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That's all we see. And we're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm in real trouble here. The whole point of this passage is, I want to set you apart. And I want to set you. Now, and then, that's the big picture. Then he goes real small, real narrow slice of the pie. And he begins to talk about sexual immorality. Aren't you glad you slept in and came an extra hour this morning? Well, I want to talk about this this morning because this is something that in our culture will mess us up and get us out of this seat. And what we begin to do then is we begin to think that, well, Paul can't really relate to us because, I mean, we can't like walk through the mall without looking at, you know, posters or we can't. We can't, like, turn on Netflix without having sexual immorality. We we can't, you know, even watch commercials during the Super Bowl. I mean, when the kids were small, we had to turn the commercials off during the middle of the Super Bowl. 
I mean, so, so it would be real easy for us to conclude in this room that, you know, that culture was a little bit higher culture, you know, ethically and morally than, than our culture, and that would be completely false. We live today in candy land compared to this culture. Listen to what one of their teachers said. Just one of their teachers said this. He said, we keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day-to-day needs of the body. And we keep wives for the faithful guardianship of our homes. Would that work today in your marriage? You see, we begin to think that Paul can't really relate to us because, you know, we got all this sexual morality at the click of a fingertip on our phones, on our computers. And we're going to say, Paul, you can't really. I'm telling you, folks, women hired men. Men hired women, women hired women, men hired men, and they went to the temple uh, shrines and they had sexual immorality every day. Every day, this was a part of their cultic Greek pagan worship services. So when Paul writes this, there was tremendous pressure on the believers that the believers were to lower their standards. And the believers were just to kind of go along with what everybody else was doing in the culture. And Paul says, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. He says, it, it is God's will that you be sanctified. And in order for you to be like totally sanctified, or what you're probably going to struggle with more than anything else, and what our culture struggles with more than probably anything else in our culture, it's just like them, is sexual immorality. And so Paul says, oh, let's get it together in this area. Well, let's ask some questions. What is sexual immorality? If you're trying to define it, what, what, and we're having lunch today at your house or at our house, and we're talking about this, what would be a working definition of sexual immorality? Well, according to Scripture, sexual immorality is any type of sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. Now, when I'm at Starbucks with all my good heathen friends and we're having one of these discussions, you know, and, 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 and they're living in an immoral or they're doing something way outside, they're coloring way outside the lines, you know, and, 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 I, and I have these discussions with them. I mean, I mean we, we, we go at it and I'm like, bring it. I'm not the idiot. I work for the king of kings. Bring it, all right? I'm, I'm ready for this. And, and they will say things to me like, well, like, well, who, who, decide what sexual, what, who decides what's sexual immorality? Who, who, who sets that up? And who, who decides what a, a marriage should look like and what a marriage should not look like? And, and, and Kurt, what if, like, I'm married, but I'm really attracted, or somebody attractive comes by, and my answer is, well, there's always attractive people are going to come by. Of course. Well, what if, what if I'm just, I'm not happy with my marriage? And, and, and the question is, who decides what marriage looks like, and who, de- who, who decided that sexual relations outside of this covenant of, of marriage was inappropriate? And so I said, all right, let me ask you a question. Do you, do you have a car? Well, yeah, I got a car. I said, okay. How much oil do you put in your car? Well, I put, I put five quarts of oil. Where are you going with this? I said, just hang with me. Where, just hang. So you put five. Why don't you put seven quarts in? Why don't you put two quarts in? What, what would happen if you put two quarts of oil in? Well, the light would come on, the engine would knock, eventually it would seize. Okay, so how many quarts of oil do you put? I put in five. That's what, I said, okay. 
do you take regular unleaded or do you put in diesel? Well, it takes regular unleaded. Okay, how come you don't put diesel in? You see where I'm going with this, okay? Because you're a smart church. They don't know where I'm going with this, okay? <laughs> and I said, now, now you got a truck, big, big, tr- big tires. Let's say that on one of those you have a flat and you decide, even if the lug nuts, you know, matched up and everything matched up, you decide to put on a Volkswagen tire on your truck. He said, well, that would be the stupidest thing in the whole world. I said, it would, wouldn't it? I said, because somebody designed your truck to run on five quarts of oil. And somebody designed your truck to run on unleaded gasoline. And somebody designed tires this particular size. You know exactly where I'm going with this. I mean, God created sex. God was the owner. God was the engineer. I mean, he didn't look down and say, oh, my goodness, what are Adam and Eve doing? I can't believe they're doing that. We're in church, I know, I know. <laughs> it didn't catch him by surprise. He created sex for procreation, for recreation, and for unification. And what happens is the enemy comes along and takes everything that God created that was for good, and he tries to mess it up. And so the enemy in your life and in my life, he's done everything he can do to get us to have sex before marriage. And then he does everything he can do to keep us from having sex while we're married. And all the guys are going, amen, preach it, brother, preach it. Bring it now, come on. We're just having a conversation in the room right now, all right? We're just talking as brothers and sisters. God was the engineer. God made it. And it was good. And it was very good. And you notice this, too, that whenever you watch sexual immorality from a distance, there are, from a distance, there are never unwanted pregnancies from a distance. I mean, you watch this on TV or, you know, whatever. There's never an unwanted pregnancy. Nobody ever gets a disease. We, we don't see the, the ramifications of abortion and the pain and the shame that we, we, we don't, nobody gets caught unless it was a movie about that. Nobody gets caught from a distance. And, and for goodness sakes, it, it, it never pulls families apart. It, from a distance, it, it never hurts anybody. Yet every one of us in this room that are 12 years of age and older, we know, we know, we've all been deeply impacted by this. An unwanted pregnancy, a sexually transmitted disease, an abortion or adultery, got caught, Shame, pain, every one of us in this room, we have been deeply impacted by that. So what do we do with this? Well, verse 4 says this. Verse 4 says, this is what we should do. We, we should learn to control our bodies. Now, we're going to come back to this at the end because I'm going to give you some real practical information in just a minute. But in a way that's holy and in a way that's honorable. Now, See, if we don't do that, we, we, we get all paralyzed, we get perverted, we get messed up, we, we, we think about the wrong things, we can't treat people kindly, we can't be free because we're all, like, knotted up. How many of you know Bill Hybels from the Willow Creek Church? You know, you, know, you, ever, you follow that church? Okay. Bill Hybels received this letter from a guy that was just addicted to porn, and here's what he said. Bill Hobbles received this letter. It said, I am an emotional invalid. 
My addiction to pornography paralyzes my spiritual life. It prevents, I'm sorry, it perverts my view of the world, distorts my social life, and it destroys any possibility of God using me. It produces nothing. And so verse 5 says this. Verse 5 tells us, it says, go ahead if you would. He says, you learn how to control your body, not in passionate lust like the pagans. You see, they're, they're, they're in this chair. They were the ones hiring prostitutes. They, they were the ones going to the temple every single day. They, they would be the ones like us in this room who haven't learned how to control ourselves so that we can actually get to, to this seat over here and be productive. Look at verse 6. And that in this matter... No one should wrong or take advantage of his brother or of his sister. So if if, if you sit in this seat, and you sit in this seat well, as a man, then my job is to view all of you women, all of you ladies in this room, my job is to view you as sisters. You're my sister. Now, I like my sister. But trust me on this one. Nothing inappropriate is ever going to take place with me and my sister, Right? I would help my sister. I would. I love my sister. I pray for my sister. You see, see, all the women in this room, and, and for Danita, my wife, how is she to view all the men in this room as, as brothers? As brothers, she has a brother. She lost a brother. As brothers, so we we treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ outside of our marriage covenant. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. Now, that, that just, that's a wake-up call right there, okay? That, that should scare you. And today, we get all caught up in the grace of God and the grace of God and the grace of God. He's still the same God. He's a loving God. But he roars every now and then. And they didn't get close to that mountain because that mountain shook. And they weren't about to get close to that mountain because it was on fire, when the Father says he's going to punish this, that catches my attention. I sober up with this one. I don't mean from alcohol. I mean from thinking, okay? The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and as we warned you before. Look at verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but he called us to live a holy life. Now, that's what he wants. This is your chair. Now, I, I know this. You're in this chair, and maybe you get out of this chair for a week or two of the year. Get back in the chair. The chair's where you're in the center of God's fairway. The chair's where you're in God's will. The chair's where there's peace. Remember, may God himself, the God of peace, he's going to sanctify you through and through. So God didn't call you to be impure. He called you to live a holy life. And then verse 8 says this. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but he rejects God. The very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So I, as I was working on this, I thought, how can I help my friends in the room? Because again, anybody 12 years of age of old, 12 years of age and older, everybody in the room at that age or more, we have all sinned sexually. There's not a single one of us in this room that has not sinned sexually over a certain age. At least up here. Okay, at least with our thoughts, maybe multiple times. And so how, how can we go forward? Let's not beat each other up. Let's not make each other feel guilty. Let's not make each other feel ashamed. But what can we do 
to go forward. Isn't it always wise to go forward? Let, let's do, so verse 4 was the key for me. And verse 4 says learn. Look what he says in verse 4. He says that each of you should learn. And I thought, my goodness, that's the solution to this whole passage of Scripture. Everybody in this room has to learn. They have to learn what works for them. They have to learn what doesn't work for them. Everybody in the room is smart. You can, you can get the term justification. You're smart. You can understand the term sanctification. And you're smart. You know what works and you know what doesn't work for your life. Now, how do you learn? How, how have you learned to spell? Well, some of you haven't. How have you learned to, to read? How have you learned to write? All of us in this room, you learn from trial and error. You learn what doesn't work. You learn from watching other people. Who are the people around you who've really messed this up? Look at the actors and actresses. Look at the politicians right now that, you know, we're talking about. Look at some of the athletes. You can look and see who has messed this up. And even in Scripture, we see David messed this up. Now, how did David mess this up? The Bible says it was a time when kings went off to war. David was distracted. He wasn't on his game. He wasn't sitting in the right chair. And the ramifications for David were just enormous. Solomon, the king, was told not to do this, not to do this, and not to do this. And guess what he did? He did this, he did this, and he did this. He did everything he was told not to do. But on the other hand, on the other hand, you look and you go, wow, Daniel. Daniel kind of did everything right. I'm going to learn from Daniel. I'm not going to learn from Solomon. I'm going to learn from Daniel. What did Daniel do? Three times a day, Daniel got on his knees and he reconnected and he prayed to his heavenly father. Three times every day. I don't know if that was going to work for you or not. So you learn what works for you. Job. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a young woman lustfully. Now, that's a pretty good decision. And, and Job made that covenant with his eyes. That worked for Job. And Samuel. Samuel's one of the most godly people in the entire Bible. And what worked for Samuel? Samuel said, you know what? To obey is better than sacrifice. To, to obey is better than going back to communion every week and saying, please forgive me, I did it again. Please forgive me, I did it again. S- Samuel realized that to obey was better than sacrifice, and he learned to obey. Now, what have you learned in this area? What have you learned that doesn't work for you? What are the places that really don't work for you when it comes to sexual integrity? If you're really honest, that place and that place and that place... It kind of lowers my standards. It lowers my defenses. What are the places in your life that, if you're honest, really don't help you to sit in the seat of sanctification? And what are the people? Again, if if you're honest, who are some of the people in your life that are not helping you, but who are some of the people that are helping you? Who are some of the people that you are around? Who are some of the people that are making such an incredible difference in your life? My friends, the key here is to learn. If if Netflix doesn't work for you, then get rid of Netflix. 
if, if too much access to the computer doesn't work. For, about four years ago, I said to a couple of our leaders, I said, you know what? I don't think any of the pastors are struggling with this, but it's so stinking cheap. Why don't we just put filters on everybody's, on all the pastor's computers? And four years ago, we did this. Four years ago, we just put filters on all the pastor's computers. Not that I thought anybody was doing it, but, but it's so cheap. Why, why wouldn't you just safeguard yourself from some of that foolishness? Why wouldn't you put those on your, in your home for your children? I mean, it just makes all the sense in the world to, to safeguard some of that. The question is not what works for me. The question is, are you learning what works for you? I'm learning. And see, that's the whole point. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. We've all made mistakes in this area. I'm not throwing any stones at you. and Don't throw any stones at me. But the key to success, the key to going forward is, what have I learned? You know, that doesn't work. That, that doesn't work. That, that doesn't work. You know, texting that person, uh, uh, emailing, no, nah, that doesn't work. What, what works for you? So I, I have eight quick suggestions, six, six or eight, I don't know how many I have. I have several suggestions. <laughs> Pack a lunch, we're going to be here a while. No, I'm kidding. I, I want to give you eight of these real quickly. Maybe it's six, I really don't remember. Um, let's look at the first one. How, how, what, we have to learn this. Sexuality is sacred. It is absolutely sacred. God designed, he engineered this whole thing, and he said it's sacred. Number two, value what you've been given. You've been given the seat of justification. You've been given the seat of sanctification. Can you value this chair? This is the chair you want to be in. Number three, I'm going to count them this time. Number three, guard your heart and your body. It's holy. It's set apart. Number four, learn to do this right. That's what we're talking about today. Learn, learn, learn. Number five, stay connected to the truth. I bet your greatest mistakes were when you weren't reading the Bible every day. I bet your greatest regrets sexually have come when you were not connected to Scripture to the Holy Spirit, to church, to worship, to a group of people. I bet your greatest, greatest regrets when you aren't dialed in to truth. Number six. Yep, there's six of these. Uh, number six. I told you there were six. <laughs> Sexual sin can be forgiven. Uh, that's, that's absolute. Absolute. But why don't we prevent it? Why don't we learn to prevent this? Because, you see, it's God's will that we be sanctified. And the Heavenly Father wants to sanctify you through and through and through and through and through and through. Figure this out. Figure out this works for me. Man, this works for me. If I'm honest, this, this has never worked. This has never, ever, ever worked. So why would I think it's going to work now? It's never worked before. But boy, that's worked. And that's working for me. So they're going to pass out communion right now. Hold the loaf, hold the cup if you would. And here's what I'd like for you to do during this time of communion. Maybe we start off with a cleansing. Maybe we start off and you really want to be cleansed. Let me have one of those too, can I? So you start off with a cleansing. Thank you. 
And then, then shift after you've said, Lord, help me and forgive me. Teach me. Lord, teach me. Teach me what to do. Teach me what not to do. I want to learn. I want to learn. I want to learn. I want to sit in this chair right here because of all the things you've done for me. I, I want to sit here. And at the end of the service, the prayer partners will be down front. And maybe you're still stuck here and you want to pray to be right here. Or maybe you're in this chair right here and you really want to pray that help me become a Christian. Help me give my life to Christ. Prayer partners at the end are going to help you. But right now, if you would, let's take a couple minutes and have a cleansing. And then let's have great expectations. He's going to do something powerful in your life as he teaches you and as you learn, as you learn, as you learn, as you learn. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we just say thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for giving your life. Thank you for shedding your blood. You are the great I am and we worship you. Now we pray for great, with great expectations that you will transform us. You will sanctify us through and through. And you will teach us and we will learn what to do and what not to do, what to avoid and what to embrace. And that we will be different. We will be salt and light. We will be the people of God. We will be sanctified, set apart, holy, useful for all kinds of purposes. And now, Lord Jesus, we honor you as we partake of your body and your blood. Let's partake together. We're going to conclude today with our great song, No Longer Slaves. And we don't have to be a slave to sexual immorality. And we don't have to be a slave to some of these addictions that are so prevalent. We just ask him with great expectation by the power of his body and by the power of his blood to transform us. So if you would, they're going to come right now and pick up your cups. But if you would, sing this with all your passion and worship the Lord greatly. All right.